This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey parents, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian. We are so excited to have you with us today for the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And we have got, I'm going to say an extra special guest today. I'm so excited. I'm really jazzed about this because I'm a big fan of his work. And Michael, you're a good friend of his, but we'll introduce him in a moment. All right. So let's first of all, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our sponsors, and uh, we want to make sure that they get some uh, some credit from us because we're here today because of them. And I want to give a shout out, as we do all the time, for Greg Jantz and the great work they're doing up at the Center of Place of Hope. Um, if you ever, ever need some extra help and you're struggling with particular areas of emotional trauma or eating disorders, depression, whatever it might be, they're a great place to start the center of place of hope up in the Seattle area. And you go to wonderparenting.com and you'll find that we have the, um, the link to them. And then Michael, you've got uh, our newest sponsor and then a little addendum to uh, their sponsorship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've talked on this show before about Marion Hill who founded man cave, which is based out of um, Phoenix, Arizona and is, is spread uh, nationwide. And man cave stands for men need to be caring actively engaged, vested, and encouraged. So it's a wonderful acrostic or anagram. Um, and if you go to wonderofparenting.com, folks, you'll see uh, all the stuff about Man Cave there, and you can link to them. It's a fathering program, a nurturing father's program. And uh, it was founded initially, Marian initially founded it from our working together, the Green Institute work, and got really inspired to create this organization that especially serves um, families of color, and um, so go to wonderofparenting.com and you can access Man Cave and all of their services, uh, a lot of which are virtual. And then Marion, as well as Warren, who is on this program, our mystery guest, and myself will be speaking at a virtual summit, Helping Boys Thrive Summit, which will be October 8th. And um, uh, the website for that is Helping Boys Thrive dot org slash boys initiative so anyone listening to this who can go to that uh, you will not be sorry that's a whole day of amazing programming helping boys thrive dot org slash boys initiative and you can also see marion there and we're going to tease out some of that today with with warren so michael you and warren farrell have been friends for a long time so why don't you introduce him to our audience Yes. So Warren and I met, uh, I'm pretty sure it was 1988 or 89 at the Mendocino Men's Conference. Uh, Warren was there. Robert Bly was there. um, uh, Michael Mead, a number of people were there. And so I'm going to say it was 89, Warren, if you remember a different year, tell me. So we met there. It was great. It was just a great experience to meet Warren. I had read his previous books and, um, and he's an incredible thinker. And then we became friends. And then one of the stories I remember of Warren is when I was writing The Wonder of Boys, I had a section in it called uh, uh, Why Boys Are the Way They Are. And so I called Warren and I said, you know, you have this wonderful book called Why Men Are the Way They Are. Is it okay for me 
to do Why Boys Are the Way They Are, which was a it was a section title. It wasn't the title of the book. And Warren was so generous. He said, oh, my gosh, why are you calling me? Of course you can. <laughs> and he's just the, the greatest guy. So incredible thinker. Um, many, many great books. Um, why Men Are the Way They Are. The latest, which we are going to talk about, of course, is The Boy Crisis. So here is Warren Farrell. <laughs> so so good to be with you. Amazingly, I have the same memory. Uh, you know, usually as I get older and somebody recalls a memory from the past, um, uh, she or he has one memory and I have another memory. <laughs> so right. uh, it's, it's interesting. Well, Warren, it is, it's so good. It's, it's such an honor for me to meet you. I'm a big fan of your book, The Boy Crisis, and feel like I have to be a little careful with my superlatives because Michael's written a book on boys too, and I don't want to say one's better than the other. Uh, what okay. I will say, uh, and I said this to Warren uh, before we went live, that these two books, The Boy Crisis and Michael's book, Saving Our Sons, are great companion pair. And uh, they both tackle the same issue from little different perspectives uh, I think reading them both together gives you a, a good, broad perspective on what's happening with our boys, what we can do to help our boys. And so we're really excited to have Warren come and talk today about uh, his book. And then he's going to be back with us next week, and we're going to dig a bit deeper uh, into the topic, as specifically as it re relates to dads. Uh, Warren, what I want to do is start out, you were at one time really involved with the National Organization of Women. How did you move from now to the boy crisis? Yes, I'll, I'll be happy to answer that in just one second, but I want to really share a compliment to, to Michael that he doesn't know, uh, which is that I just talked to my um, publisher recently, and we talked about my do. I had originally um, um, done a, a another book draft um, on boys and education, and I felt that Michael had done such a good job with that area. Uh, that I said to the publisher, I don't really need to to do that. There's there's not, you know, yes, I could do my own little twist twists and turns, but really, he's covered the area very well, and he's and he's helped um, many many schools not only. Mm -hmm. uh, understand it intellectually but he's also helped many schools um actually implement it that's and right. uh, that's really something that's very important to me is that you know i've, I've spent the last four years uh, discussing the boy crisis book because um i i really feel that when i spend 12 14 years researching and writing a book i i want to not have that i want to have something happen with it in the case of the boy crisis book it has you know inspired some legislation in florida and done a number of other concrete things but um i just wanted and so i have just signed a contract for to write two new books but they're not on education and the boy crisis because i felt michael you did such a great job with that area and so um oh agreed. thank you agreed thank you yes, Warren. thank you that's awesome and congratulations yeah. on that that's yeah. awesome thank you so how so how did you get to the boy crisis Yes. Um, well, I started out, as you as you um, just mentioned, with the National Organization for Women in New York City. And um, I was doing my doctorate on something else at NYU and the women's movement surfaced. And I was teaching at Rutgers at the time. And uh, my students said, you know, Warren, you've got a you know, you have, you have fire in your belly when you talk about the women's movement. Why don't you change your dissertation topic to that area? And um, and so I did. And that led me to uh, researching on what the, the, the 
various different types of organizations uh, that were feminist organizations uh, were doing from the radical feminists and mostly Marxist types to uh, the National Organization for Women, which was much more um, middle of the road. And they asked me to run for their board of directors in the um, and now and and also to start some uh, men's group. They were considering men's groups. They were considering um, kicking men out of now and uh, their compromise uh, because men were um, oftentimes talking about um, giving advice to women and it may, didn't, didn't allow women to feel as safe as they wanted to feel. Mm. And so especially in doing their consciousness raising groups where, where it's much more personal and they used to have the consciousness raising groups once a month. And so the, the big, um, the big compromise was to, to see if, uh, to say, let's get that Warren Farrell guy and ask him to form a men's groups and get, you know, basically get the men out of the women's hair and, um, and see if, you know, if the men are happy enough with it and, and the women, you know, don't have the men interfering with them, um, you know, then we'll, let men be involved with now. And so um, that was, I, I did that, that really worked very well. And um, and that began uh, my starting one, that was the first of more than 300 men's groups that I formed as I was speaker wow. at the colleges. I would pass out pads of paper um, that both the men and the women would sign up on. And so afterwards I would stay off until one in the morning at the places where I was um, speaking and um, and and work with them on um, on starting both men's groups and women's groups and encouraging them to meet separately for about three months and then to meet alternately together and separately after that. And that became a formula that um, really worked very very well uh, because I because it it allowed everybody to feel heard first. Um, and then after they felt heard to have a perspective um, for, uh, by women or by men uh, that they hadn't heard before. And so that's, you know, that has that has informed my work on couples communication about the importance of people feeling heard uh, before they feel argued with. Um, and so that's a, that's a much more deeper conversation. But um, that got me involved with that with now. And then where I started to break with now was when um, I had, during the 70s, there was, as the women's movement surfaced, there was a a much um, higher percentage of, of divorces. And um, and I began studying the um, literature about the the early academic studies of uh, what was happening to children after divorce, and I started mm-hmm. to see that there was this breakdown between uh, children that had a lot of father involvement um, seemed to be doing not too badly, worse, but than before, but not that worse, much worse. Whereas children that had minimal or no father involvement seemed to be the ones that were having really likely to become criminals, likely to become really strong out of school, have a really bad attitude, that type of thing. Um, and so I started, I mentioned this to the board of now. And at, at this point in time, I was speaking all around the world on women's issues. Um, and the, um, and I, as I, as I mentioned this, I was met with total silence mm. that I will never forget. Mm. And- Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finally, one woman awkwardly spoke up and she said, you know, Warren, our now members, they want to have the freedom, the option to be to to do what they feel is best with their children. They know their children better than the father does. The father's off and off, not, not paying as much attention. They really know what's best. And um, and they want the choice of being able to, if they made a mistake in their first marriage, they want the choice of being able to correct that, uh, get married to somebody that's much uh, better. And if he happens to live um, in a different part of the country, or uh, they should be able to take their children to that better part of the co- that other part of the country, start a life over again, and not have to be sort of like saddled into the life of the person that they originally um, married. And I said, you know, that's I, I am you know, as you all know. I'm 100% in favor of uh, women's freedom. But when a woman makes the free decision to have children, she also makes the free decision to to do what's best for the children and not what is just best for her. And so, and what I'm beginning to find in um, in the research is that the children who do best are ones that have both father and mother after divorce. I didn't know at that time that there were also other factors that were that beyond that. But um, as I said that, the response is, well, you know, Warren, maybe maybe this isn't so true longitudinally. Why don't you wait five or 10 years and see where the research goes? Maybe these kids have a little bit of problems at the beginning, but ultimately they turn out fine. And I agreed to that, but I knew that the handwriting was on the wall, that if my research found that fathers were really that important, uh, that now's uh, recommendations of me for almost all the speaking engagements that I was doing, which was about 50, 60 a year, uh, that that would melt away. And in fact, that did melt away. And it not only melted away from that, but as I started to listen to the men's groups that I had formed, I also started understanding men's perspective and boys' perspectives on things in a way that I really hadn't put together for myself, even though I was a male. And as I started integrating those perspectives into my talks, my standing ovations became sitting ovations. (laughs) And then um, my four or five referrals per speaking engagements became zero to one referrals per speaking engagement. And I knew that it was going to, you know, that if I started, if I continue to articulate uh, perspectives that integrated the male perspective as well as the female perspective, uh, that I was going to to lose that feminist base and, you know, that that would cost me in the course of a lifetime between 10 and $20 million. And so uh, that, and because it, it meant a lot of other things too, but I don't want to over elaborate on the answer to that point. Uh, but that's just a, a, a bit of a summary of what happened. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to to hear you tell that story because I know Michael, you've experienced some of that as well. Um, and there there is a certain sense when you've got a new movement coming up, like the feminist movement back in the '60s and '70s, that there's going to be a strong emphasis on that particular focus. Um, and uh, and and we still feel some of that. There 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 are places in our culture that that tend not to be as friendly to talking about male issues. 
but as you've discovered, Michael's discovered, I've discovered, there are a lot of moms and dads out there who know something's going on with our boys. Yes. And we need to talk about it. And we're grateful that you have. So, so tell us a little bit, uh, Warren, from your perspective, what are some of the things that you've noticed about boys that you have said on the title of your book that we're in a crisis? What, what crisis are we experiencing with our boys? Yes. First, I want to make it really clear. I am not in favor of using the word crisis lightly. Um, so you know, I, had to, I had to see a lot of things happening. So I started seeing that uh, male IQs had dropped 15 points in, mm. as opposed to every generation usually had their the IQs of the people in the generation go up 10 points. Um, I began to see recently, um, before the before the pandemic, um, male life expectancy um, had gone down for three years in a row. That had never happened, and this was now life expectancy has gone down for both sexes very recently during the pandemic. But um, prior to the pandemic, it was only the male life expectancy that had gone down. I saw that the um, the IQs had gone down. That the that this that the um, um, that the 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 sterility of um, bo- males was was getting greater and greater, um, and then I started seeing, of course, as Michael has pointed out, that you know that males. It used to be that forty percent of the people that went to college were um, women and sixty percent men. Now that's reversed, but something is happening now that's worse than that, which is in the field of education. Uh, males are dropping out to so much of a greater degree in relation to women um, that it will be in about three years, uh, there'll be two female college graduates for each male college graduate. Now, on the surface, everyone can see that that's probably not good. But when you go deeper than that, something is much worse is happening. Uh, when when a woman graduates from college, she's usually not looking for a, ma- a, a male dropout um, as a future father. Um, and a lot of the males who drop out of high school, for example, 20, more than 20% of them are unemployed in their early 20s. And um, 60, uh, males are 66% more likely to live in, with their parents um, um, at, between the ages of 25 and 31 um, in relation to girls. And so girls who are looking for, or young girls, young women, who are looking for a future father for their children are not searching in parents' basements for boys living in their parents' basements or in unemployment lines, um, and they're not searching for male dropouts. And so, so from the female perspective, this is awful. But for, and from the male perspective, what this means, he's now you know getting into be 16, 17. His testosterone is really um, pumping in major ways, um, but he's being rejected um, sexually quite often. And if he's really tall and good looking, like you know Michael Gorian type, um, then then we have uh, that you know then he ah. may, <laughs> then he may get the sex, um, but he but he then is ult- but but very few people realized, and I didn't realize um, before I wrote the boy crisis was uh, that 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 males when males and females break up, uh, males are far more likely to be depressed and. Um, mm. and 
and really go downhill um, after the breakup because females will talk to women friends and their women friends will say, sweetie, you know, you are really worth more than that guy was worth. I didn't ever want to say this to you before, but, you know, blah, 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 negative about the guy. Um, you could, you you can, you can have the strength to get even a better guy uh, next time around. And whereas the guys, we talk to the other guys and they give us about a two minute window of, um, you know, opportunity to talk. And then they say, well, let's watch the Rams game or let's watch uh, you know, something else. And, um, and, you know, and, and they change the topic. And, and as a result, the guys are having all these feelings kept in, into themselves, feeling that they're rejected. But, you know, guys who don't um, succeed um, when girls date winners, not losers. And a guy experiences himself as a loser because he doesn't have the, uh, hasn't had a father around. He hasn't had a good, strong male role model. He hasn't had the boundary enforcement that leads to postponed gratification that allows him to finish finish projects and finish dreams that he started. Um, and he begins to not only fail at the at the dreams that he has, um, but he also starts getting down on himself. That can lead to depression, and then that's reinforced by female rejection. Female rejection, either for sex or even worse, for long-term relationships. Uh, then he starts turning to addiction to video games or addiction to porn, and a certain amount of involvement with video games can be just fine. Um, but at the addiction level, it is not fine, um, and it really it has it has a huge negative impact on boys, sometimes not even seeing themselves as a human being, but often another player in the video game games. And then he, because he, um, he is getting rejected by women, he realizes that porn is access to a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection mm -hmm. at a price he can afford. <laughs> and right. uh, he starts turning to porn, but porn starts getting him addicted to higher and higher levels of, uh, of sexual excitement that often when he meets the first girl who's interested in being with him physically, um, the, the, the girl feels like um, she's being treated as an object in a porn movie rather than as a real full person. And so she withdraws from him, which only reinforces his depression. And that can lead in worst case scenarios to drugs and to drinking and then to suicide. And in the very worst case, scenarios um, when we look at the um, seven mass shoot, school shooters seven mass not shooters but school shooters um, in the 21st century who have killed more than 10 people um, every single one of them for whom we have the family background seven out of seven um, have all been dad deprived boys and mm. you usually also with very antagonistic relationships with their moms and so um, and so that's um that's you know that's just the tip of the iceberg of more yeah. than seventy different um, negative outcomes uh, that I found that boys, particularly that didn't have their dads um, uh, involved with them in a significant way, um, tended to experience either when they were uh, they were brought up either by single mothers alone or by um, uh, in, a, in a divorce situation where they had had a relationship with their dad and then felt abandoned by uh, the father. And, um, and especially during um, early years where they um, didn't have the, the, the strength, the structure and the boundary enforcement that dads don't always, but often bring to um, child rearing. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care 
a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think it's in your book where you mention... Uh, Parents today would rather have daughters than sons. Was that in your book? Yes, it was. Yeah. And after that description, you can see why, right? Yes. There, I think people sort of know, and Michael's been saying this a lot too, we sort of know intuitively something's not quite with our boys. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a daunting picture, um, but you still have hope. So what are the things, we've got a lot of parents of boys listening, of course, a lot of parents of girls too. What are some things from your perspective uh, should parents be thinking about doing to help their boys become healthy, strong, uh, productive people in society? Yes. And Warren, we're going to do another one on fatherhood. So yep. let's save uh, that one for the other. Ah, uh, okay. Very yeah, good. good. Yep, good. So, uh, then I was going to go off in the fatherhood situation. So repeat that and I'll I'll yeah. Start. So, what are some, so what are some things that moms and dads can do together yeah. to ensure that they're raising their sons to be healthy and to be well productive uh, yes. members of society? Yeah. Very good. Number one is really start mastering communication skills um, because the um, because there's a huge number of differences between dad style parenting and mom style parenting, and um, and the most important thing is creating checks and balance parenting. And in order to 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 do that you really um dads have to understand what the best intents of mo- of moms are usually in protecting the child and spotting the child's talents and so on and moms have to understand something that is very rarely understood by either dads or moms which is what are the what are the positive implications of dad style parenting when when dad's roughhouse um it seems like you know moms look at that and say oh gosh it looks like i just have one more child to monitor here and um and the you know the dad is um and dads don't say to moms something like, you know, um, I want a rough house with the kids. And one of the outcomes of rough housing with the kids and the way that I will do it um, is that the, the kids will actually end up becoming more empathetic and they'll be able to have better social skills. Um, because it's very counterintuitive to say I want a rough house so that the kids will become more empathetic. Yeah. Um, but the um, but and and so when a dad can't say that um, because he doesn't know it, um, moms can't hear what dads don't say. And so from the mom's perspective, that roughhousing is just a bunch of um, you know one more child she has to monitor, as I was saying. And so um, but. Um, what and you know, dad, moms are often afraid of getting involved um, because they don't want to. You know, they feel guilty that they don't want to interfere with the kids having fun, and they don't want to, um, you know, curtail or be controlling of the dad. But inside of themselves, they're saying, "I just predict that sooner or later, somebody's going to get hurt here." 
And she's about 99% likely to be right. So <laughs> somebody will get hurt there. And, um, and so, but, and then, you know, somebody does get hurt and mom goes, Oh darn. Now I feel guilty. I should have, you know, interfered. I should have interfered. I should have, you know, put my foot down. I should have said something. Um, and then what scares her even more is the dad says, you know, oh, okay. Uh, you know, Jimmy, you can't stick your elbow in, in your sister's face like that. Um, that's not, a, that's not okay. Um, and so the um, and but dad says, so when we when we roughhouse, when we continue roughhousing, don't do that. And the kids go, OK, OK, dad, no problem. And mom is going like, wait a minute, you're continuing roughhousing after just seeing that the kids will end up being hurt. And so the dad goes back to doing the roughhousing. And sure enough, mom's right again. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, the kids, somebody gets hurt again. And this time, though, dad says, um, okay, no more roughhousing. Um, and the roughhousing, you know, we're not going to roughhouse until maybe, you know, later in the week and after we get a few things straight. And so mom is very pleased that the roughhousing stopped, but terrified that he still hasn't learned his lesson and he's rescheduling the roughhousing. <laughs> and so, and no one gets, or dads intuitively get, but they don't explain um, that. On that next roughhousing experience, now when they say, when dad says, if you don't, uh, if you treat your, if you are too aggressive or you stick your elbow in your sister's face, um, we're going to stop the roughhousing. Now the kids know that dad means it. Um, and so they're beginning to develop postponed gratification um, mm -hmm. where they have to, where they want to push their sister or brother out of the way real aggressively to win in the roughhousing. But they realize they're going to not get what they really want, which is continuing roughhousing. Now, what's happened there is a number of things to deconstruct that. First, dad has created a bond with the children. And that bond makes the kids want to be at one with the father because they're getting something from the father that they love, the roughhousing. Number two, the dad is requiring them to develop postponed gratification or lose what they really want, that roughhousing. So they're beginning to learn not to push their sister or brother too hard. And what is the difference between being assertive and being aggressive? And, the, and not to hurt the, their brother or sister in the process, that they have to think of their sister's feelings or their brother's feelings and their needs. And that's the beginning of the creation of empathy. This isn't just a theory. The data is really hard on this um, empathy creation mm. when the roughhousing mm. is done in this type of way, which is not always the way dads do it, but usually the way dads do it. And so, but again, moms don't hear this because dads don't say it and dads don't say it because there's, I was not able, when I did the research for the boy crisis book, I wasn't able to find this in any parenting magazine or mm. in any, or in any other book on, on, on parenting that I had read. And so the, um, I, I was realizing that, you know, that even people who are well-informed fathers that were, you know, basically well-informed and the rare father that really did do a lot of reading on this issue, um, still wasn't able to get this type of information. And this became only one of about nine very significant differences that led to a lot of misunderstandings between um, moms and dads um, that really um, led to a lot of mothers and fathers um, not really bringing each other into, into the um, scene. The uh, book is called The Boy Crisis with Warren Farrell. Uh, I'm guessing it's available on Amazon. 
And yeah. uh, a great, great companion to Michael's book, Saving Our Sons. And so as you just heard, we've teased out what we're going to talk about for the next podcast. We'll be back with you then. Uh, you can go to wonderparenting.com for more information, or you can go to our Facebook page and uh, join that group there. Uh, just do a search on Wonder of Parenting, and we will let you in as soon as you want to request to join. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks, everybody. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big-